Hello, everybody. It's Dr. Sophie. Welcome back to our weekly podcast. Hope everyone's doing fine and learning as we go because we try to get topics that are going to be insightful, create some great thinking, get some great experts, and inform us in a way that maybe we weren't before about something we thought we knew about and how we can make a better life for ourselves, our kids, and our community. So stay listening all the time. Stay with me. I'm appreciative for all your support. And last week, our podcast was about bipolar disorder, and it was a very interesting perspective, one that we haven't really looked at before. And it was not a medication clinical necessarily sided perspective. It was one from a patient, one from a very intelligent, informed patient who has gone through the several episodes of uh, the disorder. So take a listen. You're going to learn a lot. And it gives you a whole new perspective, especially if you are suffering from bipolar disorder or know or love someone who is. So take a listen. It was a great positive approach. And you'll find all of my podcasts on my website uh, on iTunes. And the website is www.drsophie.com. This week's presentation and this week's topic is on a really interesting word that has a whole layer of meaning, and that word is procrastination. Many of us think we know what it is. We think we know where it comes from. It may just be laziness. It may just be somebody doesn't want to do something, but they don't know how to say it, and they behave it. Who knows? But we're going to learn what procrastination is when we come back. And joining us today, we have an expert who's going to explain it all to us, who's done very well in helping us understand this in his works. And we're going to hear from him today, and then he's going to tell us where we can find some of these works. And joining me is Timothy, Dr. Timothy Pitchell, or Timothy Pitchell, PhD. He's the director of the Center for Initiatives in Education and a faculty member in the Department of Psychology at Carleton University in Canada. Tim and his students devote their attention to understanding why and how we can sabotage our best intentions with needless dis delay. And, you know, we're going to see, is that really procrastination? He's the author of the Procrastinator's Digest. I mean, come on, it's right there. He's going to tell us all about procrastination. Timothy, are you on with me? I am. Hey, thank you for joining me. That's my pleasure. Dr. Timothy Pitchell. Yeah, you can just call me Tim. I know, but I have to practice your name. That's fine. Yeah, Pitchell is it's Mitchell. Pitchell. Pitchell, Mitchell. Tim, mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about you before we get going. Uh, gee, I live out in a little hobby farm here just uh, west of uh, Canada's capital city, Ottawa, and I have a team of sled dogs, a couple of horses. Ooh. I'm a dinosaur dad. I'm a 58-year-old man with a 5-year-old and an 8-year-old, so I get run off my feet every day. Good for you. So, yeah, that's a great life. Yeah, very good that you can that you can do that. Yes. Oh, it's wonderful. Never yeah, too old to parent. No, the kids keep me young. But tomorrow we're going in a bicycle race. So, one quick question before we move forward: True or false? You procrastinated in having kids? <laughs> no, I had uh, medical problems having kids. Um, yeah, and it was a second marriage, so it got, that got started later, and then we just seemed to be infertile and uh, we, we used uh, infertility treatment for the first one and second one nature gave us once the systems got up and running well that's because you deserve to yeah, enjoy them all right so you know people say for this procrastination thing you're just lazy you don't want to do it I mean how would you describe procrastination well procrastination is a voluntary delay as opposed to, like, we delay every day. Everybody has to. In fact, I don't know anybody that could be successful without knowing how to delay one thing in favor for another. 
so you have to. It's part of making priorities. And so on any given day, at the end of the day, I'll have things that aren't done. But the key thing is, did I do the important stuff? Did I do the stuff that really had to get done? So when I voluntarily delay something that's really important and should get done, then I'm making the first part of that mistake. It's a voluntary delay. So pro procrastination is a voluntary delay of an important thing. Of an important thing, and it's a voluntary delay of an important thing, despite knowing that it's in your best interest to act now. Uh -huh. so I could delay, voluntarily delay, an important thing that really can wait. But procrastination has to put a few things together, which is it's a voluntary delay. If, for example, I have something really important to do, it's it's a drop-dead deadline today, and my one of my children gets sick, well, I wouldn't do it, right? I'd right, but that's not it. procrastination. That's not procrastination. That's a difficult choice sometimes, but it's it's not procrastination. But So it's got to be a voluntary delay. It's not some circumstance. And I have to know that it's in my best interest to act now. That's probably why I made the intention to act in the first place. And I recognize that this is going to come back to bite me. I'm going to suffer somehow for this. And usually it's it's accompanied with a lot of really negative emotions. Like even when you uh, decide to give in to feel good, to, to procrastinate, you have the experience of guilt. Right. The part of you knows that this is not the best choice. So, so guilt, guilt is always there? Things are procrastination. Sorry? Would you say guilt is always present? Um, it's, it's usually present. I think the, for, there are some people who do such a good job at the self-deception, because self-deception is a necessary part of procrastination, that... Um, yeah, that they do such a good job of that, they don't experience the guilt right off. And but they're, they're the exception, not the rule. Okay. So are there certain types of people or personality traits to look for in certain people that would indicate a procrastinator? Well, yeah, there are. In fact, in terms of uh, people, types of people, individual differences, the very first is that from a personality perspective, you can think of five major personality traits. It's just like the three basic colors, the three primary colors. We can make all other colors. Mm -hmm. Personality psychologists will argue there's five major traits. And of those five, one of them is conscientiousness. And how conscientious you are means how planful, how organized, how dutiful. And people who are high in conscientiousness, and I, I'd want to add that all traits, like everything, is a real mixture of nature and nurture. Right. Some of it is inherited, of course, right. and then all everything is influenced by our environment. And so if you have a lot of conscientiousness, you're less liable to procrastinate. Okay. Now, the person who's low in conscientiousness, very disorganized, not very dutiful, lacks self-discipline, they're really set up for procrastination. They have to recognize that this is one of their liabilities, and they're going to have to work harder than the next person to overcome it. Okay. It's a bit like one of the other major personality traits is neuroticism. Uh, how anxious we are, how prone to depression we are. So if you're high in neuroticism, you recognize in life that, you know, I, I have a lot of needless worry, and I have to work at that to uh, be able to enjoy life to its fullest. And likewise, the person high, low in conscientiousness has to recognize that, you know, I'm prone to put things off uh, needlessly and, and unwisely, and so it, it's a liability. So that's one of the major traits that is related to procrastination. Okay. Tell me some of the others. Well, impulsivity. Mm. Uh, the person who's really impulsive can't protect one intention from another intention. And so they're very likely to be on task at something, at least got started on it, and someone will say, hey, you want to go do X? And they're out of there. I mean, the door's swinging before they even think. Right. So impulsivity is a, another correlate of it. And then some people talk about perfectionism, and you'll go, what? Perfectionist? I thought perfectionists would work hard. Well, there's more than one flavor of perfectionist. There's the perfectionist who does like to do things well, just for him or herself, and we find they don't 
procrastinate. In fact, mm. they're just the opposite. Yeah. But then there's the perfectionist who's internalized the expectations of others. A lot of negative self-talk, a lot of I can't live up to other people's expe- expectations of me, and we find that those people are more likely to procrastinate. So the socially prescribed perfectionist is more likely to procrastinate. So, you know, you put those kind of things together, someone low in conscientiousness, high in impulsivity, uh, has this negative self-talk that reflects the social per- socially prescribed perfectionism, and you got this perfect storm brewing for procrastination, at least from the personality perspective. Okay. Let's take a call, and then i got more questions for you. Joining us on the phone is... Jessica, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. All right, Jessica, you're on with myself and Dr. Pitchell. Hi, how are you? We're talking about procrastination. What's your question? Um, I have a son who's a really, really bad procrastinator, and I think it's because of his ADHD. He he just can't seem to sit down and do his work. I just I was wondering if there were any like distinguishing personality traits that you know would make a person more susceptible to procrastination. Huh. Well, you know, we just talked a little bit about that, but you've raised a very important issue with ADHD. Yeah. Uh, that there's not a lot of research done on it. There's just a couple of papers, and those do show there is a relationship between ADHD and procrastination. Right. Uh, because it has so much to do with uh, being able to control impulses and to stay on task and to, and what we call executive function, all those planful parts of ourselves. And, you know, there's... um. People have raised this on my blog on Psychology Today, and, and one of the readers there wrote a very powerful piece about his life with ADHD and how it's led to procrastination. And that's been very helpful for a lot of people to read because it, it helps people understand they're not alone and that it, it is a burden of, of ADHD. Right. And do you think it gets symptoms. better? Does it get better with treatment of the ADD or the ADHD? Well, that's, I mean, is that a question for me? or? For yeah, me? that's what I'm, I mean, in general, have you seen that if she, if Jessica treats this ADD or ADHD, that the impulsivity will dissipate and the procrastination goes away? In general, the answer is yes, of course, but there's not very, very, very few studies that have looked at the treatment effects that way. Uh, but of course, the moment that we can start to focus our attention, then that's like the breakdown in attention is a harbinger of self-regulatory failure. So you've got, if you don't have attention, you're more likely not to be able to self-regulate. So the more we can do to boost attention, and that can be through drug therapy, as you say, but it can also be through mindfulness meditation, you know, strengthening one's ability to stay focused. But the other question here, you know, before you mentioned ADHD, Jennifer, I thought my son, and as soon as you said son, well, there's an age effect because a lot of this has to do with the development of the prefrontal cortex. This is the, the home of your executive function, these planful parts of you. And that's the last part of the brain to mature. So there's a lot of uh, individual differences in the maturation, as we see in everything, and that we're going to see some children struggling more to develop these skills, volitional skills, self-regulatory skills, whatever you want to call them, until later in life. Mm -hmm. And so it's not unusual for a lot of teens to have problems with procrastination, and it's partly a developmental process. Okay. Yeah, so it's hard. I mean, it's very hard with parents, and we're dealing with kids that are putting things off to their detriment, which is that definition. And we constantly have to be creative in helping them with strategies and working in very small chunks, right? Right. So, I mean... So effortful, yeah. Dr. Pitchell, what can she actually do to help her son? Would you recommend? I mean, you know, is it medication? Is it an evaluation? Are there things she can put in place at home to structure it and really hold him and, you know, click him into the work more? 
Yes, all those things. Usually it starts with an evaluation that may involve uh, drug therapy. It may not. It depends on their therapist and their perspective. It, oftentimes you'll see ADHD treated with Ritalin and other things like that. But on top of that, it is being tremendously strategic where you're constantly helping them. You know, educational psychologists call this scaffolding where we help the person um, more than they could help themselves. So they we're building those scaffolds so that we're constantly reminding of strategies and giving them strategies and trying to find interesting and engaging things to do. And it's the burden we bear when we're trying to help someone who needs extra help this way. And we see this in all walks of life, right? With your son, it's ADHD. Uh, with my daughter, she has challenges reading, and so we constantly help her to develop strategies around reading. Right. You know, we often wish it wasn't the case. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's 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 difficult for everybody, and it can be frustrating and aggravating. And, yeah. and the other thing is, it leads into a lot of negative behavior because it's so effortful on the young person's part. They quickly become exhausted because willpower is like a muscle. So your son tries, and he quickly becomes exhausted, and then it's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Je- right. Jessica, is your... I, I get it, Jennifer, and I, I empathize with you, and you've got to know you're not alone. It's a big struggle, but continue to be strategic and persistent. Jessica, Thank you very much. Jessica, before you hang up, is your son, was he evaluated? Is he on any meds or any treatment going on now? Um, he was evaluated he? by the school counselor, but he hasn't really went to see a psychologist or a psychi- an actual psychologist or psychiatrist. Yeah, you should do that because there's probably a whole lot more stuff you could put in place, non-medic medicine, but, you know, if medicine is a part of that whole thing, but really you could really support it much better and it won't aggravate you so much. Okay. Because it is annoying. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> All right, let us know. Thank you All for right, calling. thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, bye. So, Tim, I have another question that we'll take a voicemail. Sure. Um, does intelligence, do you think, have anything to do with procrastination? There's no studies that show that. You know, so I know I have students who uh, have all the outward um, evidence of intelligence. They're A-plus students, and they're terrible procrastinators. So we don't see a consistent correlation between intelligence and procrastination across the studies that have been done. So, nope, the short answer is nope, we okay. don't see that. In all fact, right. it does seem that way, though. At one level, you'd say, well, but isn't doing that uh, kind of a type of intelligence? And, the, again, the answer would probably be yes, that here we go and say, yeah, there's multiple intelligences, and for you not to be able to self-regulate your own behavior, something's wrong. Of intelligence, yeah. but your basic IQ, no, there's no evidence that way. Okay, let's take a voicemail. Hey, Dr. Sophie, this is Amy. Um, I'm a bit of a procrastinator, but I do feel like I do my best work when my back's up against the deadline. Could this be possible? Uh, look forward to hearing from you. Thanks. That's such an interesting question because so many people cram in college or cram in high school, and they learn that that's a, a study method. Yeah, well, I'll, I've done direct research on this question. Oh, good. I have to explode that myth, um, and I'll do it in a few ways. We put pagers on students and page them throughout the week, and on Monday they might say things like, so you imagine, first of all, um, that we have an assignment due Friday, right. and you're part of the study and you've got a pager on you and we're paging you throughout the day all week. And so Monday we'll page people and we find out that they're procrastinating and they say things like, oh, I work better under pressure. Uh, I'll feel more like doing it tomorrow. Those are two of the biggest lies we tell ourselves, of course. Well, when Thursday comes and they finally get down to it, nobody at the last minute spontaneously says things like, oh, I'm I'm glad I waited till now because I work so much better under pressure. (laughs) They often say things like, I don't know why I put this off. I'm doing a good job and I could do such a better job if I'd got a bit more time. What it is, it seems, is that it's not that we work better under pressure, it's that we only work under pressure. And so 
we, we pull it off. And what happens is we have this great big endorphin rush. I did it again. But it puts these rose-colored glasses on us that make us feel that, wow, uh, I'm so pleased I got this done. But they don't see the flaws in their work. And over and over again, we know that in experimental studies that when you put people under pressure, they make more errors of commission and omission. So we don't work better under pressure, but some of us only work under pressure. And what's ironic about that is we don't see the pathos in that, that it takes that much pressure for me to get motivated. Right. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, unfortunately, it's really a myth. There are very few people who actually uh, want that stimulation because the s- other studies we've done is we've looked to see if sensation seekers or extroverts, because those are both um, sensation-seeking traits, uh, were more prone to procrastination, and the answer was no. Got it. Okay, I want to read you an email. Pete from Cambridge is asking us, how can I tell if my friend is procrastinating or just lazy, and is there really a difference? Wow, yeah, we like to use that word lazy. We impugn yeah. other people with it. Um, I'm not even sure really what lazy means. Uh, there's, you know, there's not really a psychology of lazy. I think the procrastination is easier to see because we can more objectively look at uh, to what extent they said they were going to do something at a certain time and then needlessly delayed it. But remember, just because someone doesn't work when you think they should work, that doesn't make it procrastination. So, for example, if you and I both have an assignment due on Friday, and I say, I'm going to work Tuesday, and you say, I'm going to do it Thursday night, and I work Tuesday and you work Thursday night, that doesn't make you a procrastinator if it doesn't take very long to do effectively. Right. You just decided to work later. Uh, procrastinators know that about themselves. But if we both say, yep, I'm going to get down to it on Tuesday because it's going to take a few days, and then Tuesday you put it off, you're a procrastinator. Neither one of us really showed any laziness. I think laziness has to do more with cutting corners, right? Always taking the easiest route, which some people would say is very rational, but not if it really compromises the quality of the work, right? So you're almost, you're really, there's an attempt at the work more in a laziness than in procrastination? Well, there's a, a, a slothfulness to the work. It's, it's a done in a way that um, a lazy person seems to lack care and lack energy and lack engagement. And so you can see how some of those things are correlated with procrastination. But there is not a psychological measure of laziness where we might have psychological measures of so many other constructs, which is interesting because day-to-day we talk about lazy people all the time. We seem to know what it is and what it tastes like, but we don't study it very much. So in the end... I think we might impugn someone who procrastinates with that label of laziness, but I'm not quite sure what it means. Yeah, and I, I, you know, if you're telling us that procrastination is really a voluntary delay of something, many people may not be as conscious in laziness, therefore making it so voluntary. Well, that's but it. I don't know. Yeah, they, they well, the problem with some of these things is that they're not as conscious as we think because it becomes so habitual. Many people uh, procrastinate before they ever think about it because it's a coping response that's become so routine that, and I should get to that, like, you know, we never really, we talked about what's the main reason we procrastinate, and it's really, it's about short-term mood repair. So I face some terrible task I really don't want to do. We consider it an aversive task, and that has, it's different things to different people, but you think, oh, I don't want to do that. And even saying think is the wrong thing. You feel, you just have a reaction to that, and before you know it, you're not doing it. And if avoidance is your habit, there's not a lot of thinking going on at all. 
Like you are just avoiding it because it's what you want is short-term mood repair. You want to feel good now. Now, of course, what the price of that is is the downstream consequences for right. future self. Right. And isn't that, that an interesting uh, paradox that present self feels good at the expense of future self, right. but it's all self. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, question for you then. It, is it possible to get into a mechanism of feeling comfortable that if you do short-term mood repair enough but you still end up getting the work done because under pressure you do it are you fooling yourself well i i would only say that based on the the fact that uh, because i've been studying procrastination for nearly 20 years i've talked to lots of different people from around the world and many of them lament the fact that they're successful but they hate their own work habits like they get it done but they don't understand why it always has to be under such duress. In fact, we also know that procrastination just doesn't affect the individual. It has social costs as well because, for example, if I procrastinate during the day today and my kids come home, they'll want to play with me. I'll say, I'm so sorry, kids, I've got work to do. Well, they're paying the price for my procrastination. You know, procrastination has no virtue, right? It it really is, it represents self-regulation failure. It means I can't do what I intended to do. I was rational about my intentions, but irrationally, I'm delaying it now. And I think that we all benefit uh, in having a, a life that's our own more when we learn how not to fall prey to that. Exactly. Okay, let's take another voicemail. Hi, Dr. Sophie. I have a wonderful 17-year-old daughter who's soon to be 18 and going off to college um, in the fall. She's a very, very smart girl. She's done extremely well in, in school without having to apply herself too much, even though she's at a competitive high school. She's a terrible procrastinator. Um, You know, uh, even getting up in the morning, going to bed, I find her doing her homework in the middle of the night. Um, I've tried what I can think of to get her, you know, to change, you know, make a plan, you know, have specific times she wants to get things done. I'm very worried. She's going to school in engineering. I'm very worried about how it's going to be once she gets there, how she's going to get the work done when it's much more challenging. So any suggestions you have for what I might be able to do before she goes in September, I'd appreciate. Thank you so much. Ah, interesting. What do you think? Wow, that's a tough one. Yeah. Most kids, uh, particularly nowadays, need non-catastrophic failure. Like We don't want to see our kids fail, but... They have to. Uh, they have to. You know, you have to realize that that strategy didn't work. And I think one of the things that struck me, uh, I mean, we all feel that way as parents, but there's not much mom can do or dad can do um, besides, you know, give advice and say, well, that's I wouldn't do it that way, and I'll tell you why. But when we nag and we, we bring all of the uh, control to the outside, we don't uh, benefit them at all because then they're even more dependent on us. Right. right? So they're going to get to university, and not only did they have bad study habits, but they don't have anybody nagging them anymore. So we find that with the parenting research we've done, that it's the authoritarian parenting that's correlated with procrastination, mainly because these people are nagging and telling you what to do, and you never learn any of, to internalize any of your self-control strategies. So the sad truth of it is, is that it's part of growing up. Um, most kids recognize uh, when they fail and when a strategy is not working, but they kind of play it to the edge because yeah. it's not fun to work hard. Right, so don't rescue your child is the bottom line. A- absolutely, and yet it's not very palatable because we don't want to see our kids fail, especially when school costs so much. Who wants to spend 
um, X number of dollars going to engineering and fail first year. Nobody. Yep. Got it. But, you know, that might be what it takes. And in a sense, it's a small price to pay to pull your socks up and then start a new life. Absolutely. It. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've, I have many patients that I've seen and parents have learned that lesson that that first year of college was really a learning year and it cost, but it didn't cost in the long haul. That's right. It's It's absolutely essential. And too much now, we have what we call helicopter parents. And I'm not uh-huh. saying that the person who sent you that email is that. Uh, not by any means, but that is when we see that in ourselves, we have to recognize, no, uh, unless my son or daughter develops her own sense of, or his sense of agency, they're never going to get anywhere in life. They're going to end up on my couch in the basement. Exactly. And so it's really important that we let kids suffer the natural consequences of not doing things. And then we can come in and say, you know, if you want to look at a strategy together, we can talk about it. But, yeah, when we try to give it to them, well, they're not ready for that learning. Right. All right. So if someone, uh, one last question, then I'll let you go. Can you ever defeat procrastination within yourself? So I, I, I think that's an interesting question. I think a lot of people, a lot of our listeners would want to know, is it ever something you can kind of overcome? Yeah, it is. But it takes a lot of work because I use that magic word habit and it's about mood repair. So we've got a lot of things stacked against us as human beings. So some psychologists talk about these two brains, this fast brain that's basically emotion, your limbic system, and this slow brain that's the executive function I was talking about. Right. And right since Freud, we've always talked about these two ways of uh, thinking and being. And of course, uh, our emotional brain, that fast brain, the limbic system, wants to feel good. And then this other part of our brain that's more evolutionarily new, that is slower to react, that takes time, uh, has a a battle against it. And so it takes a while to establish a new habit. So if you're suffering from procrastination, you might want to look at how how to break habits. And that makes takes a lot of conscious effort and a lot of strategic action. And I use a lot of really simple steps. Like one of the things I do is I say to myself, I'm not going to feel like it more tomorrow. Like as soon as I say that, I think, you know, you're setting yourself up to procrastinate here. So call it for what it is. And then my magic right. one is always just get started. You know, if you can just get past that initial inertia, right. just get started. Don't try to think of the whole task. Just get one step. I was working on something earlier today that I did not want to do. It, it was overwhelming to me. I, I think I, I think I told um, your assistant that uh, this winter my mother died, and so I'm I've been really having a tough time in this spring. You know, I'm, I'm down. Yeah, it's, it's a natural part of life. So I don't have as much motivation as normal. So I, most days nowadays, I have to just put one foot in front of the other. So I have to say, just get started. Right. And when I do, and I keep doing that, I get the things done. Yeah, you get your momentum going. That's right. But it doesn't make it easy. You know, I think most of us want to believe that we should always be happy and it should always be easy, and it's not. No. And so we have to be strategic, and we have to kind of dig in sometimes and say, I'm just going to get over this hump. And when we do... You're right. We build up momentum because other research has shown us that a little bit of progress on our goal fuels our well-being. And of course, when we feel a little bit better, then we have a bit more motivation. And it's an upward spiral. Now, there's a limit to that, but any upward spiral we can get is a great thing. Absolutely. I want you to tell me a little bit before I let you go about the Procrastinator's Digest, which is your book, and how we can find more about you because this information is fascinating. Yeah, actually, I'm not going to recommend the book right off the bat. You can find that book as an e-book and as a book, but the, the place to go is to procrastination.ca. I established this website, procrastination.ca, not .com, so CA for Canada, procrastination.ca, in 1995, and it, it, um, it, it's a, a very big website in terms of free resources. So you can buy the book if you want, but I have a podcast that's, that's been on iTunes since... Uh, 
I don't know, 1996 or something. And uh, no, not, not that long. Sorry, 2000 and f- 2006. Um, and I do a blog for Psychology Today, and there's been over three and a half million readers of that blog. Wow. And every topic that you know I've talked about, I've written a blog post, and it's all freely there. And so your listeners can go to procrastination.ca and find links to the blog and the podcast and all sorts of other resources, including my research. So that's the the place where you can learn about me. You can click on Learn About Tim, too. And as I told you before, I've got a dog team and horses and kids, and you can learn a bit about my life or you can learn about my research. So that's the place, procrastination.ca. Got it. Thank you so much for your time, your expertise, helping me with our callers and our voicemails and our emails. And I think if anybody isn't procrastinating or if you feel like you need to procrastinate, I think you need to get on that website and you need to check out Dr. Timothy Pitchell. Great information on procrastination, his book. I'm going to download it. I can't wait because i got to really read it. I'm a big procrastinator. It's a nice short book. You know, the irony about books on procrastination is no one's going to make it past the second chapter. Exactly. <laughs> That's why i got to get a, I gotta get a short book. It is. You could read it a single set setting. So if you're thinking, I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna blow off the evening, then, and if you really want to uh, wrestle with procrastination, that might way to do it. The other way is to, you know, like you do with your own podcasts, and, and I'm sure all your listeners love it for that, is they can do it when they're commuting, and they can do it when they're listening to it while they're doing chores, and they can make effective use of what otherwise would be very much a downtime. So, Absolutely, you know, they'd only be sleeping during that time. <laughs> pretty much, right? At least their brain would. That's be. right. It's a bit been a pleasure to meet you. Full Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your kids. Be good parents. Yeah, and thank you for all your expertise. All the best. You too. Bye. Bye now. That was Dr. Timothy Pitchell. He is a procrastinator expert, and I think a procrastinator, a fellow procrastinator, because I am too. Anyway, we learned a lot about procrastination. Lots of great uh, voicemails, emails. A caller had a great point to make and ask about her son. So take a listen. It's a lot of great information. There are four keys that I'd like you to take away from this one. And the number one thing is about procrastination, we do have to realize it's a voluntary delay. We actually do it knowing we're doing it. We are voluntarily putting off our work. So it's fixable is what that means. So once we realize that we're voluntarily doing this to ourselves, we can stop it because that's the first step, knowing that we're doing it to ourselves. The second thing that's really very important is that it's only like a self-deception. He told us, Dr. Pitchell told us, it is really kind of like you're deceiving yourself. You're saying, uh, well, I'm gonna do, I don't want to do it today or I'm going to put it off till tomorrow. And yes, you're actively voluntarily doing that, but you're deceiving yourself because it's going to be there tomorrow. So you're really just fooling yourself. And it's no real outcome from the actual procrastination and putting your work off because it's going to face you tomorrow. So you're voluntarily doing it, you're deceiving yourself, and you're going to end up having to do it anyway. So get going and be aware that it's voluntary and it can be stopped. And then the third thing that we learned today is there are a few personality traits that are really key to people who procrastinate more than others or procrastinate in general. One is consciousness. Those that are not really self-aware are not going to really be aware that they're voluntarily putting off their work. Another characteristic is those that have high anxieties or depressions or mood issues are going to have more options to procrastinate. They're going to voluntarily more often talk themselves out of doing something that is not necessarily feeling comfortable to do. The other personality trait 
that Dr. Pitchell talked about was high impulsivity. People that are moving around a lot, jumping around, they're onto one thing, they're distracted, they're not really structured, they're disorganized at times, or they look like they're not getting their work done, or they're waiting till the last minute to cram. Those with high impulsivity are also on the high list of procrastination. So learning some of those things are really important. And I think self-awareness is the biggest key. And the fourth thing I want you to understand when you go away from this podcast about procrastination is that it is a self-regulation failure. You are failing yourself when you procrastinate. And I think that's a very important point to understand that we look to really deceive ourselves, but at the end we're really failing ourselves. And when you put your work off, you think you're going to do it tomorrow, you don't get it done tomorrow, or even if you do get it done tomorrow and it's up against the wall when you're getting it done, you're not feeling good about yourself. So it is a self-failure. You don't feel good about it. You don't feel good about the process to get the work done because you really pushed yourself. You think it felt okay because it was under pressure and it worked, but at the end of the day, it's a self-failure and you're angry about it. So four key points to really take a look at as you go through this podcast. And it is really very interesting. And it is Again, something you can fix. We can address procrastination in ourselves. Dr. Pitchell told us today, it is really something that once you're aware of it, because of that first key I told you today, voluntary delay, you're voluntarily deciding to do it. If you know you're trying to, you're doing it to yourself, that's the first step to really preventing it. So we can defeat procrastination. So beware everybody and stop procrastinating. I have to do it myself though. Okay, so I would really like to say thank you to all of my listeners, callers, emailers, voicemailers, all those people, and my experts, because without them, we wouldn't have a podcast, and I love the information, great questions, great, great emails. They really provoke a lot of thought, and they really provoke our expert to give us the information that we need for everyday management of our topic, and that is procrastination. Podcasts are always available on my website and on iTunes, www.drsophie.com. My new phone app is available on iTunes. It's Dr. Sophie. Just search it, and you'll get it, and it's free. I'm here on voicemail 24-7, or 1-855-SOPHIE-NOW. My book, Side by Side, The Revolutionary Mother-Daughter Program for Conflict-Free Communication is always available at Amazon.com. You can download it, read it, read it whenever you want, but it is a really good guide to helping moms and daughters stay on track. Always follow me on Twitter if you want to know where I'm at and Facebook for any updates. Visit iTunes to download the full version of Andy Grammer's Keep Your Head Up. And the most important thing is don't forget to sweep. But you gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey. You gotta keep your head up, oh, and you can let your head down, hey. I know it's hard.